Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. the center of the U.S. culture wars, the red state that might be getting a little less red here and there, where the consequences for this year's elections are at a fever pitch. And just remember, this is where the high-stakes abortion conversation that we're all having right now began. When Texas passed its bounty hunter abortion ban, even before the Supreme Court reversed Roe v. Wade. Voting in Texas is so restricted and anti-voter laws so effective, folks have dubbed it Jim Crow 2.0. More books have been banned from school libraries in this state than any other state. And this beautiful state is unfortunately home to more mass shootings than any other, including the Uvalde massacre, the second deadliest school shooting ever in the United States. On immigration, Texas is also front and center. The state shares a 1,250 mile border with Mexico, from which many desperate immigrants attempt, desperate migrants attempt to cross into the U.S. each year. Though let's just not forget that most Mexican Americans did not cross the border the border crossed them. They were already here before this was a U.S. state. Also, the state is at the center of the demographic changes that are awaiting the whole country. Four in 10 Texans are Latino, and they are the largest population group here, though not yet the largest voter group. Bottom line, Texas is a microcosm of American politics right now. But this is not the only state where election action is taking place this week. Statewide candidate debates are taking place tonight in Pennsylvania and Colorado. There was a gubernatorial debate last night in Florida. But we recently learned that the governor there partnered with the Texas governor here to trick some Venezuelan migrants into getting on flights to Massachusetts. Now, I could go on, but I'm not. Instead, I'm going to stop talking and turn to the man who is vying to become the new governor of this state, sitting beside me here with a very big crowd of fans behind him, is the person who's doing everything in his power to challenge a Republican uh, vision for a state better O'Rourke, Democratic Texas Democratic governor, gubernatorial candidate. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to Fort Worth. Thank you. Welcome to the home of Opal Lee, the godmother of Juneteenth. Yes. To Deborah Peoples, the next county judge of Tarrant County, and so many amazing folks, Democrats, Republicans, independents alike, who want to see something great for Texas, and they're going to vote for it on November 8th. You know what? And I just met Opal Lee. Um, She is epic, and uh, I I am excited to talk to her later. we got to get to know her later, but that is amazing. I do want to start with you. I was on with Nicole Wallace earlier. I'm going to jump right into it. And we had a conversation um, about guns. And um, it's a difficult issue to tackle because there, on the one hand, are these awful tragedies like what happened in Uvalde. And it's, you can't get it out of your mind. You can't stop thinking about those moms and dads and those little kids. And then you've got people who are really passionate about gun ownership. They're really passionate about not having any restrictions to gun ownership whatsoever, no matter how many massacres. How do you talk to that latter group who say, I like Beto. He seems like a good guy. 
but I don't want him to be governor because he's going to take my guns. I remind them that today marks 22 weeks since we lost those 19 children and their two teachers in Uvalde, Texas. It's been 22 weeks and our governor, Greg Abbott, has literally not done a thing to make it any less likely that any other child in any other part of the state meets the same fate as those 19 kids. And then I listen to them. I listen to my fellow Texans, Republicans, gun owners, Democrats, independents. Here's what we can agree on. At a minimum, let's raise the age of purchase for an AR-15 to 21. That would purchase at least three more years for some kind of intervention. A red flag law that would allow law enforcement to intervene if that person already has a firearm and they're threatening to use it against somebody else. Or a universal background check, which just simply means if you're going to buy a gun in Texas, we're going to do some due diligence to make sure you won't use that weapon against yourself or against somebody else. We have five of the worst mass shootings in U.S. history just in the last five years. There's no one in this state who's okay with that, but we're going to need to have a change in the governor's office to have someone who will actually do something about it. You know, the thing is, they haven't done nothing, the Republicans. I mean, this is one of the most shocking stories uh, this week, and there's lots of shocking stories like every day. Um, The idea that kids, that families in Texas who have children in public school are being given DNA kits so that God forbid a mass shooting happened in their school. They can identify what's left of their child because we both know what an AR-15 does to a human body. It, it, you can't hunt with it. You'd get nothing, right? Lush. That's right. That's um, right. And it does the same thing to a human and God forbid a child. It, it is shocking, I think, for a lot of Americans when they think even a state like Florida raised the age to 21. Um, when you think about the fact that to get a handgun, you have to fill out a lot of paperwork. You have to go and get a background check and get fingerprinted. So that the, But to get an AR-15, you can literally just go to a pawn shop and buy one with nothing. That's right. So how do you, I mean, I, I, what would you do? Let's say you're governor, you're sworn in. What would you do to immediately make that kind of a change? How could you do it? I'm going to bring everyone around the table. That's not just Democratic legislators, but Republicans as well. And I'm going to find that common ground that I have been hearing about as I travel literally every part of this state. And look, we're not going to agree on on everything. But those three ideas that I started with of raising the age of a red flag law of a universal background check, those measures will save lives. You mentioned Florida. It took that Republican governor and Republican legislature 23 days after Marjorie Stoneman Douglas to raise the age to 21. Since then, mass shootings are down more than 80 percent in that state. Those kind of things work. And I have yet to find the Republican or the gun owner who argues the other side of that issue. They say, you know what? I can get behind racing to 21 or a universal background check or doing a little bit of due diligence. Here's another thing that Abbott has done. Besides sending the DNA test kits to schools for parents to identify their kids after they've been shot, he's also weakened our gun laws further to allow anyone to carry a gun in public without a background check, without any vetting or any training whatsoever. We used to have a program called License to Carry that allowed law enforcement to do a little bit due diligence before you could carry a gun in public. 38,000 times over the last six years, they said, hey, this person is just too dangerous to carry that gun. They're going to use it against their spouse or their girlfriend or perhaps against some kids in schools. Now all 38,000 of them are free to carry those guns in public, and none of us are the safer or the wiser for it. That is why gun violence and homicides have increased 50% in this state since Greg Abbott has been governor, why we lead the nation in school shootings and why gun violence is the leading cause of death for children and teenagers. 
those kids, they don't get a vote in this election right. except through the actions we take. Their lives are literally on the ballot. That's why we got to vote and make sure that we win on November 8th. You know, a lot of the newspapers here in this, the great state of Texas have endorsed you, but the Dallas Morning News endorsed, endorsed your opponent, endorsed the incumbent, uh, Greg Abbott. And the reason that they gave was he's good for business. But I look at some of the statistics. And I love Texas. I think Texas is beautiful. The weather is great. It can be a little 10 degrees warmer. I always like to be warm. I'm a tropical girl. But it's a great state. But when I think about it as an outsider looking in, this state, as you said, it leads the world in gun massacres, not just the country, but the, the whole world. It's number one in rapes, unfortunately. And the governor said he said he was going to end rape. I don't think he's done that. It hasn't happened no. yet. Um, and then you've got the abortion issue. If you have a state that's the number one state statistically, you're the most likely to be raped. And then you also have a restrictive abortion law that says that, God forbid, that happened to you. You have to leave the state and you might actually still get prosecuted. You can go to prison for trying to get an abortion. That's the other issue that is the state leads on it, I talked to someone today, a young woman who said, you know what? It bothers me. It's the thing that bothers her the most, but thought it was, it's done. It can't be fixed. That can't be changed. Can it be changed? All of these things can be changed. And just on this issue of business, there's no one who's been worse for the Texas economy than Greg Abbott. Our property taxes, for example, have gone up $20 billion over the last eight years. It's a 40% increase our electricity bills, when Governor Abbott could not keep the power on for the people of Texas in the energy capital of the world, when the temperature dropped last winter, have gone up 45 bucks on average per ratepayer. He's the single greatest driver of inflation in the state of Texas. Our minimum wage is still $7.25 an hour, 13 years after it was set. And then you have these attacks on our fellow Texans against transgender Texans or their parents who are being accused of child abuse against members of the LGBTQ community. They're proposing a don't say gay bill next legislative session. And in this state, no woman is now able to make her own decisions about her own body. That abortion ban is the most extreme in America. It begins at conception. And as you mentioned, there's no exception for incest, nor is there one for rape. And in Texas, the rapist could actually sue the family of his victim if they assist her in getting an abortion and collect a $10,000 bounty. This is how extreme it is. And that's why a majority of Texans, including a majority of Republicans, disagree with Abbott's extreme abortion ban. It's another reason that we have to win. I mean, most importantly for the women of this state, we're at the epicenter of a maternal mortality crisis that is three times as deadly for black women. When you have foreclosed opportunities to seek reproductive health care, you have condemned women to suffering and to unnecessary death. So for all of those reasons, we have got to change this. But here's the thing. 50 years ago, abortion was just as illegal in Texas as it is today. But young Texas women prevailed upon an all-male United States Supreme Court, one Roe versus Wade. That stood the test of time for 50 years. If they won it 50 years ago, I believe Texas women are going to win it back in yeah. February, in, in November 8th of 2022. So, you have people over here. If you poll on these issues, it's clear. A majority of Texans disagree with the abortion ban. A majority of Texans want reasonable gun reform. Uh, A majority of Texans don't want to, like, ban history from schools. Texans, you know, they're good good folks. People are not in a majority wanting these things. But in order for you to win, you have to get past really restrictive voting laws. I mean, these are the worst in the country, honestly. Um, Will people be able to get their votes for you to count? We've already seen rejections of absentee ballots cast by Asian American, African American, and Latino voters here rejected at a much higher rate than white voters. The machinery is already working. 
There is a Reuters poll that's showing you closing the gap, closing what was the real clear politics average gap. Um, but can enough of your voters actually get to cast ballots for you to be able to prevail? The answer is yes. It's not going to be easy. Um, this is the most voter suppressed state in the union. Harder to cast a ballot or to get your name on the rolls to be registered to vote yeah. than anywhere else in America. The answer to that is all of us literally knocking on the doors of those people who are the targets of suppression and intimidation. Our campaign has over 95,000 volunteers who are doing the hard work of meeting voters where they're at and bringing them in. And, and the beautiful, poetic, political justice of all of this is that the very people who were intentionally drawn out of this democracy are being brought in by their fellow Texans to form the margin of victory on the night of November 8th. So let's just say that you prevail and um, that you're able to win. What's the first thing that you would do as governor? Let's end or reduce significantly gun violence in this state, especially when it comes to our kids. Let's restore a, a woman's right to choose. Let's get behind our public educators who are under attack and are yep. leaving the profession by the thousands right now. And let's fix the grid that failed this state and killed 700 of our fellow Texans. There's so much work for us to begin, but the great news is that the majority of Texans are with us on this. We're going to have the political will to get the job done. Well, I hate to break it to you. If you fix the grid, Ted Cruz won't leave again. And then he'll always be here with you. That's right. But maybe that's, that's right. a good thing. I'm well, not trying well. to. That's me who said that. That's not Beto. He's a nice guy. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate you. Thank you, for having Thank me you on. very much. I appreciate you. election cycle have come from Mothers Against Greg Abbott, the founder of that organization. Nancy Thompson joins me next as our readout roadshow continues from the Flying Saucer in Fort Worth, Texas. Beat me up. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Wonderful. Baby has a nice, strong heartbeat. Everything's developing right on schedule. Since this is your first, you may want to take advantage of the free parenting classes we offer. I do need to prepare you for the possibility of a C-section and some long-term health issues, but for now, our focus is baby, and baby looks great. Congratulations. That 
powerful ad, a stark reminder of what a poster America might look like, is from Mothers Against Greg Abbott, a political action group aimed at unseating the current Texas governor with a focus on issues like abortion and gun violence. The movement was started by a Texas mom who was so fed up with Abbott foregoing safety measures during the pandemic, she decided to take matters into her own hands. One year later, the group is now a force raising hundreds of thousands of dollars to help get out the vote and elect a new governor in the Lone Star State this November. Joining me now is Nancy Thompson, the founder of Mothers Against Greg Abbott. Nancy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank I was remarking so earlier that. that we did a good color story together. I like our yes. color story that we're doing it with our <laughs> outfits. Um, you started this organization. What, what prompted it? I just broke. I have no other you know, explanation for that, that moment in motherhood when you're trying so hard to keep your family alive and healthy. And then you have a governor that's actively working against you. And I've never experienced that before in my life. And I was just done that day. I just had enough. I was broken. And I just thought I have nothing left to lose. I'm going to go protest. Give me your bill of particulars. What do you think Governor Abbott has done wrong? Um, so many things. It's just um, he really has been um, going after everything that is important to Texas families. I mean, from gun safety, attacks on public education, attacks on women and their personal freedom and rights. And then um, he's, they are not taking climate change seriously. And we have a really serious drought in Texas this year. Yeah. Um, so it's a combination of all kinds of things. I mean, even including um, increasing the minimum wage, especially for women in Texas. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of them, they're single moms and we need to support all families in Texas. And, and the, abor- the, the ad that I just played at the top, that abortion ad, it was striking. It was shocking because you don't expect that ending. And then when it happens, you're, it, it's, it's a reminder. And Texas is where it started. The bounty hunter law was the beginning of this trend toward really draconian um, anti-abortion moves. And that was even before the Roe decision was overturned. Uh, you know, I, and I, I go back to a young lady who I, I talked about this to about this earlier, who thought it's over. There's nothing that can be done. How do you get past people's sense of futility um, and get people to understand that at this point now it's your state? It's who you elect as governor. It's who you elect as attorney general. That is what's going to determine whether you have any rights to health care and to abortion at all. Yeah, I don't know how to shout it any louder for the people in the back. I mean, we're just we're trying to say everybody, you may think that it doesn't pertain to you, but it's going to pertain to somebody you love. Yeah. You know, you have to think of it and break it down to a to a level in which everybody can relate to. And then and start the conversations. I think if women start talking to other women and we start talking to the men in our lives and we have men also talking to other men in their lives about how many women they know that have had um, had had abortions or have had pregnancies that have gone wrong and how abortion is health care because we need that type of, of health care in order to to sometimes to deal with pregnancies that don't go well due yeah. to the death of, you know, the, the death of the fetus. There, there was a story um, about uh, a, a young woman who, you know, she needed an abortion because she had a pregnancy that was non-viable yeah. and couldn't get care until she nearly bled to death, right? That she had to be in a catastrophic position where she was going to die because that's the new Texas law. I mean, your governor is an interesting character. I mean, his response to the prevalence of rape in the state was saying he's just going to end it. Right. His response to Uvalde was to say it could have been worse. Have you had any interactions with Governor Abbott? Absolutely none, because he doesn't take our he doesn't take mothers seriously. He doesn't take families seriously. If he took us seriously, then he would have called in a special session on gun safety and he would have listened to the families from Uvalde. He would listen to the families from Santa Fe. He would listen to the families from El Paso. 
and he hasn't. He hasn't done his work. He's not listening to anyone but corporations and the NRA. And that's a problem because the families in Texas are the ones that are losing out. Why do you suppose that people like Greg Abbott keep getting elected and reelected then here? Well, a lot of voter suppression, definitely for that. Um, there's there's a lot of voter suppression. There's a lot of groupthink, and then there's a lot of control in Texas politics by certain very wealthy billionaires in Texas that are just funding the Republican Party. Yeah. Well, uh, I know that you are working to change that. Nancy Thompson, um, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. And congratulations on all the hard work that you're doing just to get people to be active. It's really important that people participate and never think you can't make a difference. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. And up next, we will hear directly from Texas voters on what exactly they're looking for in this election. That's right after this quick break. We'll be right back. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. near Houston about what's on their minds. So this is my first time voting. I'm really excited to be here. I really wanted to also show my support and vote against things like Republicans overturning Roe v. Wade and trying to use inflation as some sort of sort of scare tactic to scare voters away from Democrats when really the Democratic policies are better for the economy. Talk to me about Governor Abbott. He's been in office for two terms. What do you think of the job he's done on those issues? He's not perfect. I have disagreed with some Biden, but if you compare it to Beto, Beto is out of, I mean, he should not even run for governor, in my opinion, but he switched back and forth continuously. I don't believe him. When you walked in there to cast your ballot, what was the number one issue on your mind? The number one issue on my mind was um, uh, the economy, number one. Uh, Number two, reproductive rights. Number three, also uh, voting rights. So I felt like I was on the ballot. So this election was very personable to me. Uh, With some of the things that are going on, I feel like, I have two young daughters, right? So, like, what's going on now would have them having less rights than I had when I was their their age. You've got Better O'Rourke running. What do you think of his candidacy? Frankly, I don't like it because he wants open borders. And um, he's very pro-abortion, which I don't like. Better O'Rourke. Right. What do you think of him? I think he is looking to the future of Texas. I think he's looking especially to the rights of the people and the importance of that. He actually speaks to a Texas I wish was here, one where all people were franchised and 
know, we essentially looked ahead. Joining me now from Houston is NBC News correspondent Priscilla Thompson. Priscilla, I, I love that. It's fascinating to hear people actually talk about what they care about. I've been doing a lot of the same thing and asking people, can you give us sort of a preponderance? Because I feel like there's a narrative about what people care about, and then there's what people care about and what they're telling people uh, like yourself that they're caring about. Could you kind of get a sense of what in general the most important issues are? Yeah, I think so. And most of the Republicans, if not all of the Republicans that I talked to uh, in Fort Bend County mentioned the economy. They talked about Governor Abbott and job creation. And the second thing that I heard them mention was immigration and specifically the things that Governor Abbott has been doing around bu the busing of migrants to other uh, states and suggesting that Texas shouldn't have to bear that whole burden. And that is really resonating with Republican voters there. Uh, at the same time, I've been hearing from Democratic voters who are talking about a completely different set of issues, a reproductive health and access to abortion, a really big issue for a lot of folks. And you also heard particularly that one Democratic voter there talking about immigration as well. And she told me that she feels like the way that Governor Abbott has handled things here has been incredibly inhumane and that it feels personal to her. I also heard Democrats talking about the need to protect democracy. And so a lot of those types of issues that are on uh, their minds today. And I want to talk a little bit about Fort Bend County and why that is such an interesting county to hear from voters in. It is one of those uh, historically red counties. Mitt Romney beat Obama there in 2012 by around 16 points, but it has trended blue since then. And in fact, in 2018, when Beto O'Rourke and Abbott were both on the ballot, we saw Beto O'Rourke beat Ted Cruz in the Senate race by 12 points in that county. And we saw Governor Abbott narrowly win the governorship in that county by less than 500 votes. And so you see there sort of the transition that that county is going in. And I think it will be important for uh, Beto O'Rourke to pick up voters in a lot of those suburb suburban areas that are trending blue. It's why we've seen him and Governor Abbott both visiting that county in recent weeks. But at the same time, here in Texas, we're seeing Republicans picking up ground in South Texas. Former President Trump was just there this weekend holding a rally because of the congressional races that are going on there. And so just as Democrats are picking up ground in some historically red areas, we're seeing the same thing with Republicans here. And it really is going to be a countdown to Election Day. Joy? Yeah. Indeed, just more proof that uh, these elections and these communities are much more complicated than some of the media narratives make them out to be. NBC's Priscilla Thompson in Houston, thank you very much. Well done. All right, one thing is clear about Texas. It is at the leading edge of a national shift toward majority non-white populations. It's Hispanic, I mean, Hispanic Texans are the state's largest demographic group, period. Joining me now to talk about it all is Julian Castro, former secretary of housing and urban development in the Obama administration and former mayor of San Antonio. He's now an MSNBC political analyst and host of the Our America podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Wish that you were here uh, with us, but I do want to talk about this. The, the, the Hispanic, the Latino vote is extremely important in Texas and increasingly so. It hasn't been that potent in terms of moving the state, though. Not yet. Right now, you're talking about four in 10, 40 percent of the population of this state in 2021. It's the largest de demographic group, 6.2 million Latino eligible voters, but only comprising 32 percent of the voting population. 
You told me years and years and years ago when we were at a, a totally different campaign context event that that was going to change. It is changing. Do you think it has changed enough to make Democrats viable statewide here? Well, I think it's about getting there. Uh, it's getting closer and closer. Well, uh, just to give you a sense, Joy, uh, those numbers are correct. 40%, but only 32% of the voting age population because it's a young population. And traditionally in midterms in Texas, pollsters will tell you that they figure that the Hispanic vote would make up between 17 and 19% of the vote. Uh, that went a little bit higher four years ago. And what I'm looking for this year in 2022 is whether it goes even higher and breaks that 20% mark, perhaps gets to 21 or 22%. To the extent that that happens, that is a good thing for Democrats, even though, uh, as you, you, know, you and others have noted, yes, in some South Texas counties in 2020, uh, Republicans did gain some ground. That may or may not happen in 2022. But overall, uh, Hispanics in Texas are still voting Democratic. So to the extent they come out, that's a good thing for Beto O'Rourke and the Democratic ticket. Right. And, you know, you talk about narratives and we just put up that graphic. The median age of Latino voters is younger. It's not 39 versus 49, 48 for all adults. But that thing about narrative, there is this thing that's happening in the mainstream media that they say, oh, um, Hispanic voters are going Republican as if they are now a solid Republican group because you do have some South Texas counties that are shifting red. But we pulled up the data. I mean, there are all of these Washington Post, Latino votes shifted toward Republicans. Will it again? NPR, Democrats are losing Latino voters. Dallas Morning News, Republicans pin their hope on the Latino vote, on and on and on. But so we pulled the data. Telemundo did a, a poll of Latino voters and they prefer Democratic control of Congress 54% to 33%. It's not even close. The narrative doesn't match the data. Why do you suppose that narrative is taking hold? Well, I've been pulling my hair out for the last couple of months as I've seen story after story after story that you mentioned acting as though the Latino vote is somehow firmly a Republican vote now, which couldn't be further from the truth, because when you poll it, Latinos are still firmly Democratic. Yes, there was movement in 2020, but they still are firmly Democratic. My worry, Joy, is that this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, basically. People you know, that aren't, that are not super political. They, you know, that's not all they do is follow politics. They start to think, hey, oh, okay. Uh, oh, folks are going Republican now. There is a bandwagon effect that I fear can happen based on essentially inaccurate narrative that is out there over and over and over again. What that takes on the other side is very hard organizing, door knocking, phone calling, going and doing what Beto O'Rourke and his campaign and other campaigns are doing, especially in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, where we de did see some hemorrhaging of support for Democrats uh, and, and making sure yeah. that folks understand what the stakes are and that the Hispanic community gets that touch that you need to keep them in the Democratic column. You know, I, when I'm back, when I used to work in politics, one of the things that used to be extremely frustrating was Democrats' lack of spending on Spanish language radio, Haitian language radio, in language radio. There are Asian American focused stations and networks. And Democrats are generally off them, but the disinformation, the in language disinformation on those outlets, you can think about Miami and Spanish language radio and how Republicans are in there doing that. Are Democrats not paying enough attention to the propaganda that is? Really, really, Republicans are running pretty successfully on in-language radio and on in-language media, period. Yeah, I think it's been underestimated. We've spent a lot of time during the Trump era and afterward focused on 
social media and especially English language and those platforms have addressed it better in English than they have in Spanish. I mean, really, these folks who are engaging in disinformation have been allowed to continue to run roughshod over the truth in Spanish language. That has had an effect in some races in South Florida, in yeah. South Texas. And hopefully, uh, you know, we've gotten better at combating it in 2022, but it takes spending, it takes organizing, uh, and hopefully it won't make much of a difference this year. But we don't yeah. know. We're going to see in a couple of weeks. We will see. And also remembering that the um, Latino market is not a monolith. There are all sorts of different sub-communities and different communities that have their own distinctive needs, and they need to all be addressed by politics. That's the point of politics. Secretary Castro, thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here. And up next, since everything is bigger in Texas, including TV segments, we have not one, but two democracy defenders working tirelessly ahead of these midterms. We'll be right back. Welcome back, fam. While we're here in Texas, we want to take a moment to profile not one, but two democracy defenders. Let's call it Texas-sized democracy defender edition. A key to the upcoming midterm elections will be who shows up to vote. Two Texas women have played a pretty major role in making sure that young voters participate. Taylor Coleman has been living out of her van named Barb for roughly a year and traveling the Lone Star State registering voters and helping many people navigate draconian new rules. And then there is Olivia Juliana, the 19-year-old director of politics at Gen Z for Change, who's been crisscrossing the state, engaging with the younger generation, making sure they turn out for candidates up and down the ballot. And do not play with her on Twitter. You are going to get your feelings hurt. Taylor Coleman and Olivia Juliana, join me now. Thank you both for being here. Olivia, you are at a disadvantage, my sister. I'm so sorry that you're not here, but I know you're out there working. I want to start with you. Here's some numbers I'm going to throw out for you, Olivia. Um, in 2020, 41% of uh, young voters turned out. It was 54% nationally. In 2018, it was just 36%. So voter turnout among younger voters is increasing. Do you think that it's enough in this state to change this state? I absolutely do. I mean, we've seen just since the Dobbs decision came out that we've had 300,000 new voters registered. And I think it's 37 percent of those people are people under the age of 25. Young people are not playing around. And I've had the distinct pleasure of attending some of, you know, Better Works rallies at college campuses. And the one I attended first was at the University of Texas in Austin. It was 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. And there were hundreds of young students there who were not just ready to vote, they're excited to vote. They know what's at stake. And I think that, you know, the Texas GOP is going to learn that lesson very quickly this November because young people are going to turn out. And, you know, it is my opinion, but I think in a couple of weeks, we're going to see that that's a fact. Well, Taylor, we were talking a little bit about this in the break, and I do want to just sort of bring it up on air as well. There's turning out to vote and then there's getting your vote to count. We're seeing ballot rejections of the ballots of voters of color at an astonishing rate. The state is known for voter suppression. 19% of Asian American voters are getting their ballots rejected. 17% of black voters, 16% of Latino voters, 
12% of white voters. So there's a lot of ballot rejection. And you don't even have to really know Texas that well to know Harris County, this county, which is a swing county. The rejections are happening in the places where young people, college students, and people of color vote. So how is that overcome? How can that be overcome without getting young voters discouraged? You know, I think that that's such a great question. I think that the way that we overcome it is we have to get angry. You know, I, I loved your, your question about, you know, are the young people voting? There's one young woman that I met on my uh, journeys that inspires even me. She's 16 years old. She can't even vote. And she was telling me uh, her name is Mariah. I hope she's watching this. Uh, you know, just about how she is trying to get involved in her community and convince people and persuade people why it is so, so important to do this work. And I think that that's what it's going to take for us to overcome these challenges. It's not just a this cycle problem. It's an every single year there's an election problem. And I think that young people are starting to see this, especially after the Dobbs ruling, uh, that we have to always make our voices heard. And I, and I absolutely agree with you. These suppression, the suppression that we are seeing, it is not a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, they see the trends that are happening and they're, they're worried. You know, and I, and I say this, uh, people have said this to me and I repeat it, you know, you always steal a good idea, is that, you know, Texas is not a red state, it's a very voter suppressed state. Very voter suppressed state. You know, and, and Olivia, I want to throw this back to you. You are very effective at using social media. Uh, and social media is the devil in a lot of ways, but you do use it for good. Is it useful? Because I know there's a lot of like hashtag activism isn't real kind of vibe about whether it actually changes anything or people just go on social and complain. Have you found that social media is useful in motivating younger voters? Because they are all over TikTok, they are all over Instagram. Is that translating into actual voting? Oh, absolutely. It's translating into actual voting. You know, people go to social media to express their opinions, but they also go to social media to learn. We've seen in the last few years, an overwhelming majority of young people are getting their news from social media platforms, especially TikTok. And they're not just going to traditional news media. They're not just going to news anchors. They're coming to people like me who are living in these states who care about what's going on and who are making their voices heard in a way that young people can relate to. So it makes a huge difference. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing some of these Republicans crack down on social media platforms because they understand that young people are using them to mobilize. You know, and Taylor, you, your story, your family story, and Beto O'Rourke uh, talk, read, talks about his book, Your Family Story. It is another thing that people, when they think about states like Texas, they don't think about what this panel looks like, which is really what Texas is emerging, looking like Asian Americans, Latinos, uh, you know, white folks, black folks. It's a very mixed state. Um, and the leadership does not reflect that. Can you foresee, you know, as you're driving around in your van, talking to people and talking to young people and inspiring people, do you see a time when this state will look more in the leadership like it does out here, this beautiful crowd? Absolutely, I do. You know, I think the question I get the most is, you know, as I'm out on the road, you know, uh, going from town to town, a lot of small towns, Republican towns, yeah. you know, how am I treated? How am I welcome? And honestly, like family, I yeah. think that the division that we see um, at the statewide level, it is caused by those in power, yeah. not by our neighbors. And yeah. I think that the more that we get out there and we talk to people and we meet people and, you know, we become familiar with each other and know that we are all on the same side, yeah. um, I think that we absolutely start to uh, become overcome these sorts of divisiveness that we're seeing at the well, same Well, Taylor, I have, to, I, have to, I have to show you something while I have you here. 
Taylor tweeted at me the last time that you were on our show. Here's the tweet. I'm going to put it on the screen. Oh, so God. And you said, was so honored to join the readout to shine a light on voter suppression in Texas. Thanks so much for having me, Joy and Reed. And then you said this. Please come down to Texas for barbecue and democracy road trips anytime. Oh so I decided that I would supply oh the barbecue. God. There it is. Oh, my I God. I my own barbecue. It's I'm going to tweet out. What's the name of the restaurant? What's the name of the restaurant? Okay, I'm going to... What is it called? Flying Saucer. Fly, no, Flying Saucer is here, but we're going to tell you guys the name of the restaurant where we got the barbecue. But Flying Saucer allowed us to bring in barbecue from outside, so we love them for doing that. Uh, they sell beer here, so you can get your beer with your barbecue. Have a blast. I'm going to. Oh, no. Okay, thank you very much. Taylor Coleman and oh Olivia. Now you know Olivia Juliana. Be on set with me, my sister. Be on set with me. I bring treats. Thank you very much. I appreciate Absolutely. you, my sisters. Love you all very much. Um, thank you for what you do. More on, from this fabulous crowd. I'm going to talk to them at the Flying Saucer in Fort Worth next. <laughs>
what I love about Texas is forget whatever you think about Texas. There's not, it's not a stereotype. It is an incredibly diverse, incredibly friendly, incredibly kind state. I actually love being here. People are wonderful. They're open. It's every kind of person with every kind of view. And we have had such a wonderful time. Uh, I want to give the names. Get me the names of the folks who run this place. Where's, where's Tina? No, no, no. The names of the people who run the place. Shannon and Shannon and Josh. Okay, Shannon and Josh have been wonderful to us. I'm so bad with names, but Shannon and Josh welcomed us and allowed us to be here so that we could get the views of all of these wonderful voters. I think I have time. Do I have time, Robert? Can I get a few more? I'm going to get a few more. I'm going to go around again. Here we go. One minute. Okay, what most important issue? Democracy. Okay, most important. You said, you're, but you said I'm the most important issue, but give me an issue. We are all one people and we deserve equal rights and we just got to all make it happen. All right. I, I love that. Your most important issue. Uh, gun, uh, gun laws. We need to pass more effective gun laws that will prevent folks that don't have any business owning a gun, getting a gun okay. and then creating mass murders. Absolutely. How about back here? Women's rights. Women's rights. Gerrymandering has got to go. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a new one. That's a good one. How about back here? Women's reproductive rights. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Look, the ladies are out here to vote. All right. Thank you guys very much. I want to thank everybody for me being here. Flying Saucer, come down, have some beer, patronize this wonderful restaurant, give them some business. Thank y'all very much. Appreciate y'all being here. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.